You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Outdoor Edge and their complete lineup of replaceable and fixed blade knives and game processing kits. Now, in my bag this year, I had the Razor Pro Saw Combo Kit. It comes in a very compact, handy carrying case, and one handle has the replaceable blade knife and the gutting blade. The other handle has the saw that comes with it. So, I use the saw to split the pelvis, and I use the gut hook to open up the cavity and the blade to start cutting all the stuff out, right? So uh, it makes cleaning a deer very simple, very easy, and the the knife is sharp. And uh, if you've ever had to gut a deer with a dull knife, we all know how much that sucks. So um, take a look at the Razor Pro Saw Combo Kit and uh, head on over to OutdoorEdge.com and enter the discount code NATION30. That's NATION30 for 30% savings on your purchase. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast brought to you by Vortex Optics. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to a new episode. I'm pretty excited about today's episode because uh, I like talking about what we are talking about. That makes no sense. But I like talking about scouting, and I like talking about shed hunting, and I like talking about things that you can do outside of the season to prepare for the upcoming season. And uh, if you haven't been out scouting right now, I strongly recommend it, especially while there is still snow on the ground. Um, And I know that there is a lot of snow all over the United States right now. And uh, I think that if we're not out there taking advantage of all of the sign that is left behind from the last year, whether that's rubs, whether that's old trails, whether that's bedding uh, that you can see in the snow or on the ground, I think we're really missing out because I honestly believe that along with all of the other information that you can learn about terrain, vegetation, uh, edge, water sources, food sources, this time of year is almost like a roadmap of how deer travel through terrain features. And uh, so take advantage of, of the scouting while the snow is still on the ground. And that's what today's guest, Chad Sylvester from Exodus Trail Cameras, uh, hops on and, and talks about today. We cover a whole bunch of different things, how we scout, why we scout this time of year, um, the information that we use from trail cameras that we gather, not only throughout the year, but this time of year as well. And uh, it's a pretty awesome episode, not going to lie. I think that, and and the the cat is out of the bag. Most of you already know this, that, you know, the deer, the, the deer season isn't just the, from the day it opens to the day it closes, right? If you want to shoot a big buck, if you want to shoot an old buck, if you want to up your game from a two and a half year old to a three and a half year old, or from a three and a half year old to a four and a half year old, or or whatever, you got to know where those deer are located. And you do that through scouting, right? And trail cameras and more scouting and more trail cameras that, you know, that's both in and out of the season. So that's what uh, today's episode is about. Now, before we get into today's episode, I got to do a little housekeeping Tomorrow is, uh, well, you're listening to this on a Wednesday and 
I'm editing this on a Tuesday night. So I'm going to say this. The Nine Finger Kitchen is being recorded probably as you're listening to this. The first, very first episode. And I'm going to put the cat out of the bag on this. The first recipe that I'm going over is meatloaf. It is venison meatloaf. It's one of my family's personal favorites. There's no leftovers whenever I cook venison meatloaf. And uh, and that's what the first episode is going to be about. And you can find that on the Sportsman's Nation YouTube channel. So uh, be sure to check that out. Make sure you guys are following along on Instagram and Facebook, not only on the Nine Finger Chronicles, but on the hunting gear, or excuse me, uh, the the Nine Finger Chronicles, but the Sportsman's Nation as well, both Facebook and Instagram. Make sure you guys are subscribed to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast through iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts. Uh, leave some reviews, right? Leave a, go If you think this is an awesome podcast, go leave a five-star review. That helps me out. That, let, uh, that lets other people know that this is a badass uh, podcast, and uh, I would really appreciate that. Now, we got to do a, a slight commercial here, Ozonics and Lone Wolf. Now, you guys <laughs> have heard me talk about Lone Wolf all the time, right? I mean, all the time. And it is my additional appendage when I go out and do my running gun setups, right? It's quiet, it's efficient, it, and, and it's easy to set up and tear down and move. It's easy to set up and tear down and move. It's easy to set up and tear down and move. And when it comes to deer hunting right we all know that the first time in is the best time in so that's why i personally find that very important you know living that mobile hunter lifestyle so uh lone wolf and uh, you can go to their website google lone wolf you know lonewolfhuntingproducts.com and check out all of the uh, stands that they have to offer i am a huge fan of the assault it's the smaller platform and the four uh, climbing sticks that can get me in any tree i need to straight crooked uh short tall and uh, if i need to just be a little bit off the ground or if i need to get high uh that that setup will get me there and if you guys want to save 50 dollars off of all purchases over $200 enter the discount code 9FC50 that's the number 9FC50 and you can save $50 off all purchases over $199 or $200 or whatever it is the next uh, product here that we're talking about is Ozonics and um, <laughs> like I, I love feeling invisible it's just like when you you're going into a set imagine this you're you're you've located a really good spot whether it's through scouting or whether it's through um you know watching a deer come out of a bedding area right and you're like i gotta get in there so that night you go back you wash your clothes um what i do is i don't even wash my clothes i hang them in my ozonics um a dry wash bag i take you know i take my scent free shower i practice my access routes you get into this area you've you found the tree the wind's doing the right thing the thermals are doing the right thing and ozonics is putting off that ozone in the tree and it's basically it's got your back and what i mean by that is when i go in and i set up on a you know on a trail or a bedding area i'm cutting the wind pretty aggressively so in case a deer gets too far downwind to me on that cut or a doe you know a buck's chasing a doe and and they chase them outside of that that wind uh, my into my scent cone i know that ozonics is going to be there to uh, neutralize my odor and you know they'll be like man what is that smell i it's not a human but I, I'm not going to be afraid of it. And then they just work their way through. And I'm telling you right now, if uh, you don't want to go, you know, go and purchase an Ozonics because it is a, a pretty big um, investment, borrow one from a buddy and then go buy one. Because I'm telling you right now, it's, uh, it's definitely one of those products that's worth it, both out of the stand and in the stand. So uh, if you want to find out more information, go to ozonicshunting.com and uh, discount code here. It's NFC21, NFC21. And uh, that allows you to buy a unit and get a free dry wash bag with the purchase of uh, uh, one of their units. So enter that discount code. Now, I've done my whoring out. Let's get into today's scouting and shed hunting uh, conversation with Chad Sylvester. Three 
two, one. All right, on the phone with me today, my man, Mr. Chad Sylvester. How are we doing, man? I'm doing well, Dan. How are you? You know, I'm not too bad. Uh, it's not negative 40 anymore here in Iowa. It's uh, <laughs> I was I was chipping the ice off of my driveway in a t-shirt the other day just because it felt so good to not like, you know, there's cold and then there's go outside, take a deep breath, hurt your lungs cold. Absolutely. Yeah, I know uh, here in Ohio, we had like a 30 or 40 degree temperature swing. Um, and as you said, it, it just went from single digits up into the thirties and it felt like you could just go outside with no shirt, no shoes yeah. and have some fun. Yeah, it was, uh, I, I, and it's kind of sunny out today, which is m- melting even more snow, which means that every little inch that gets melted off means I'm one step closer to really getting out and pounding some ground. Actually, I think I'm going to go out this weekend and walk some, you know, some of these south facing slopes to hopefully, you know, stumble across the shed, maybe do a little scouting while I'm out there. Oh, heck yeah, man. Yeah. Hence why uh, you're on the show today, because I ended up uh, uh, seeing on Instagram, you guys were out doing some scouting, uh, doing a little shed hunting. And uh, I wanted to touch base with you and just kind of uh, get some thoughts and, and a little BS session about scouting this time of year, because uh, I, I personally feel it's it's probably one of the most important times to actually get out and scout as opposed to other times uh, of the year. So I want to ask you just right off the, right off the bat, why do you like getting out and scouting this time of year? Well, it's the same that it's the same answer as what everybody says, you know, the sign is so much more apparent. Um, I would consider it to be low impact because the season is over and you have months and months and months um, before the new season kind of rolls in, uh, you can take advantage of, you know, having snow on the ground with being able to cut tracks or trails a lot easier than, um, you know, without having any, anything white or snow on the ground. Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot of different reasons, um, on that. End. And there's nothing new there, right? That's, that's the same thing that everybody really says. But one of the things that, um, I like to do kind of in the postseason is, you know, I'm not only scouting for deer hunting opportunities, but also trail camera opportunities. And then I like to go back and revisit places that I haven't necessarily hunted, but have ran cameras. And I go back there with the intent to kind of wind map those areas and understand how deer are using them, how I can access clean or get out clean. And then ultimately, you know, where I can set up with, uh, you know, out being without getting busted. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, that's uh very important. Obviously you can't, you know, there's, there's some places that are out there that are, I'm not going to say impossible. I don't think any stand location is impossible to get to, but, um, they're harder to get to. So, uh, the more time and energy you can put into, you know, uh, locating spots and locating access routes, uh, it just helps you come, uh, come the, you know, the next hunting season. So, um, let me, let me ask you this. When, when you go out and you, you are scouting and you've just mm-hmm. named some of the, the very obvious things that people look for, is there anything that is specific or that actually carries more weight in your mind than other, you know, like old rubs or, or trails in the snow or beds or whatever? Well, I, th- I think it is all the obvious stuff, but I think that there's there's clues and things that you can, or I guess an added layer to all of those things. There's an added layer to finding rubs and really understanding when and why they were made. I think, um, you know, we can all get lost in postseason scouting and, you know, just put miles and miles and miles on and take pictures of rubs and, you know, get excited about big rubs or small rubs or, or, or scrapes and licking branches, but without really sitting down and looking at that hard why was that rub made was it made in october was it made as a velvet rub was it made around doe bedding indicating you know rutting activity i think those are all the really important things that um you know people and guys gals need to be asking themselves when they're postseason scouting not not just the obvious um you know obvious deer sign yeah all right so here's where i feel um you know obviously people can get out and they can scout and they can look for these obvious things that, that uh, you've mentioned. But I think that an additional scouting uh, mission is necessary to really hone down an area um, to see if it is in fact, you know, to see why 
right? I, and I'll, I'll say this, and this is just kind of a, uh, a shoot from the hip type comment that I've really noticed um, throughout the years, right? And all right, so obviously deer movement uh, is different in, let's say, September and October than it is in uh, late January and February once the, you know, once the season is over, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right. And deer movement is based off food. It's based off of cover. It's based off of um, breeding, you know, when that time comes. So one thing that I like to do is whether you're using like hunt stand or you're using Onyx or whatever mapping system you're doing is go and locate those areas, right? And then come back and see again, because sometimes a trail uh, can be in the snow late season. And one thing that you can take away from it is how deer use terrain to move throughout the landscape. But another mm-hmm. thing that once you come back at a later time, you find vegetation is grown back. And this is where I really think a lot of people miss the boat. And I'd love to hear what you have to uh, say on this is now we have, now we have some late season Intel, but now we have the, the full vegetation Intel as well. And we can use that to locate edge. And one thing that I've, really come to notice in the past five seven years is the is deer using edge both inside and outside of thick timber so Mm -hmm. um and and so what you're doing is you're really just going okay man that trail is coming here but then the edge meets up over here so i need you know maybe early october or, or whenever i get the chance to hunt i need to put my tree stand where that trail intersects that uh that edge and I might have an opportunity to, to shoot something. No. Yeah. I, I think you're 100% correct in, in that manner that, uh, you know, a lot of the postseason scouting stuff, um, is either kind of confirming what you've seen in the season or maybe what your trail cameras are telling you, or, uh, as I mentioned earlier, it's setting you up for that, that next layer of information, whether that be boots on the ground scouting in season, whether that be a trail camera, whether that be, um, just an ob- observation set on a, on a food source or on an edge, um, you know, if you're in ag ground. But I think so many times guys get so carried away with the postseason scouting stuff and they're not putting the big picture uh, together. And they, like you said, they're shooting themselves in the foot without thinking, um, I need to be back in this location in September. You know, and maybe, maybe you're looking at a white oak stand or um, an early season food source and you're seeing sign there you know, during your postseason scouting, well, it's good to go back into that area in, in September where the time frame is still relevant because maybe those white oaks aren't dropping. You know, typically a lot of the white oaks will only drop every every other year. So yeah. you could uh, drop a pin on your postseason scouting and, and think that you're going to be in a hot spot come early season and it could be a ghost town. So, right. um, yeah, you you got to you got to go the extra layer and confirm what you're finding in the postseason throughout the actual season. Right. So you run a lot of trail cameras throughout the entire year. And just like you mentioned at the beginning of the episode here, you're going back and pulling cards uh, and, and basically putting all the little pieces of the puzzles together. Right. What does a trail camera tell you, um, you know, outside of the obvious of there was a deer here at this time throughout the year um, in regards to all of the other sign and trails and terrain features that, um, that are also found in that area while scouting? Well, it certainly doesn't tell you, um, it doesn't tell you the whole story. I I can, I can promise you that. And, um, I've been guilty of, you know, putting a camera in a location, probably like a lot of other guys, you get so tied up and wanting to have a picture of a certain deer or a, a certain buck. And when it's not there, you think the spot is, you know, it's garbage. It's, it's, you know, the camera's in the wrong spot, which that might be the case, but a minor tweak might get you those pictures. So, um, a lot of times, you know, we're going in postseason, pulling these cards, which have, you know, soaked for the entire, most of the time, the entire year We're we do a lot of long-term trail camera sets. And, you know, if we're not getting pictures of during a certain time frame or, uh, of a certain deer, you know, that's starting to spark the questions. Okay. Well, where is he? Is he here? Is a sign telling me there's a big deer in here? I'm just not getting him on camera. Is he using a different terrain feature? If he's using a terrain feature, the camera's on, you know, when, why? So it's just a process again, of adding those extra layers, um, you know, around the context of your 
scouting plus your plus your trail camera pictures, but they certainly don't tell the whole story. And um, I think that's an easy an easy problem to to kind of find yourself in is being so tied up with those pictures and videos um, and thinking that's the end all be all. Yeah. And it's not. It's just a, it's a small piece. Yeah. And I'll tell you this right here. I love telling the story because um, unless I didn't have uh, uh, someone messing with my trail cameras and stealing them, I would have never noticed this. And I had a uh, I had a trail camera over top of a mineral station. Right. Uh, one year it got stolen. All right. So I put it back in the same spot. But this time I put a, uh, a camera up in the tree facing down at the cam- camera. And although no one came in and messed with it that that particular year, I was noticing deer that weren't hitting the mineral uh, station walking behind that camera the entire summer. And oh, yeah. I, I thought, you know, like, oh, man, this deer's gone. This deer's gone. So finally, I cl- climb up uh, into the tree once the the uh, mineral time is over and I pull, you know, uh, it's about September when they start stripping velvet. And I check that card and it's like two of my hit listers from the previous year, they didn't even hit the mineral station. They just walked behind mm-hmm. that camera. So it led me to make a little bit of an adjustment, pull the camera back off the mineral site just a little bit. And I started getting more pictures of deer. So it's, uh, it's one of those things where uh, just like you said, man, trail camera pictures are awesome. When you get that picture, it, it tells you, Hey, he was here. He was here then, and he might do it again, but, uh, it doesn't necessarily tell the whole story. And, uh, man, I tell you what, just like what you said, I've fallen guilty to that, to that, well, there's no deer here type of scenario and totally overlooked all the sign that was in the area because I I wasn't getting trail cam pics. And that was, uh, I learned that's a big no, no. Yep. Absolutely. Yes. It can be super misleading. Yeah. So sign then I want to kind of back, back up and go back to rubs, you know, uh, rubs are a a big indicator, right? Obviously right now there's snow on the ground, so it might be hard to identify an old scrape unless it's an active scrape, a current active scrape. But, um, how much weight do you put into rubs per se? If, if it is, let's say you go out today and you find a fresh rub from this, this past season, how much weight do you give that? Well, I don't put a ton of weight into it. Um, but if there's, if I'll put it this way, if I come into a, a rub line or a cluster of rubs, a series of rubs within a short distance, um, I will try to find, you know, the best spot or what I think is the best spot for a camera. Um, and typically I'm, I'm taking the approach as this is a new area that I, you know, I haven't had history with in the past, haven't hunted it, haven't scouted it, haven't ran cameras in it. So it's a totally new piece of ground. Um, but when I come across something like that, I will definitely, um, you know, mark that on my Onyx and come back in the fall and put a camera on. But while I'm there, uh, I'm really trying to decipher, you know, why the, why are, why is that buck making a rub? in that location. So I'm looking number one around the time frame, and the best way that I've heard or had, you know, was taught or to kind of backdate when that sign was made is just simply look for the shavings on the ground. Um, are the shavings on top of the leaves or they under the leaves? Um, if they're on top of the leaves, it's probably that rub was probably made in November or, you know, later in the season after all the foliage has already fell if the shavings are, you know, under the leaves and obviously it was pr- more than likely an early season rub. Um, so those are c- kind of the, the things that, um, I'm looking at on a new piece. Um, and then also trying to figure out if, you know, if that's just a direction of travel or if all the rubs are made in one way, um, you know, what's the starting point or where's he coming from? Where's he going to, if the rubs are, um, one directional, if they're two directional, then, you know, if the rubs on both sides of the trees, then you know that deer are using it, um, multi-directional but then uh just for example we were down in kentucky um maybe a week or so ago doing some scouting we came came across the uh sign post rub a uh, big cedar tree probably the size of my thigh and it was rubbed from you know just a foot off the ground all the way up almost up to my chest and while it was so cool we're sitting there talking about it snapping some pictures and whatnot uh we almost missed something that was i think that's kind of important um, and it may not be important to a new piece, but if you have history with a piece and have history of running cameras in the area and you kind of know what bucks are in the area, 
I think that, you know, if you pay close attention to how that tree is rubbed as far as tine marks, if there's um, a certain kicker coming off of a beam on the inside of beam of a deer, you can kind of identify what bucks are, um, are, are making those rubs, but you got to pay super close attention to it. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of little nuances within that, but all in all, I don't, you know, I'm not setting up over rubs to hunt. Yeah. Um, you know, so I don't put a ton of weight into, into rubs other than telling me, Hey, there's a, there's a buck or bucks in this area and you know, they're leaving, they're making their mark. Yeah. Yeah. I've always found that interesting. Uh, whether I, I don't know if I necessarily agree with, I, I don't disagree with it. But I don't, I don't know if I'm uh, full, you know, in full support of it. But I've had some guys in the past that uh, um, we've been walking in through the timber and we're looking at a rub and the, the one guy just goes, he's been here. He's been here. I know he's been here. Look at this, this, this little crease from his kicker. Off his, you know, like, <laughs> just like he can identify deer by the rubs that they leave. And I was like, dude, you're crazy. You're crazy. You can't do that. So, um, so have you ever noticed uh, like... I want to talk a little bit more about rubs, but have you ever focused or um, really paid any attention to where a rub is located in relationship to terrain features? Um, yes and no. Um, you know, a lot of times we find them in hill country and a lot of the yeah. stuff that we're doing is in hill country. So it's, it's not necessarily flat, not necessarily in, in uh, in swamp or or ag ground, but a lot of it's in hill country. So typically, we're walking those terrain features anyways. Um, you know, a lot of benches, uh, a lot of the top of a drainage. Um, oftentimes, you'll find some sign there. And most of the time, we're I'm kind of going back through my mind, um, excluding signpost rubs. Most of the rubs that we find are either on benches or in saddles. Um, Sometimes on ridge tops too. Oh, I guess and in bottoms. So I guess they're so they're kind of all over. More places. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. I thought I was onto something there, but as I, yeah, as I talk through it, they're pretty much everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. Like I've noticed that um, there's rubs all over, just like what you said. But they're they're more like hit, you know, hit and go type rubs, right? Where mm -hmm. they just, you know, it's along a trail. They'll hit it once, then they go about their business, right? As opposed yep. to what and I love how we're trying to break this all down like we know something, but uh, <laughs> like one, one thing that I've noticed is in staging areas, that's where you'll see a lot more time put into a rub, right? Like mm -hmm. they're, they're just working it multiple times. It's there. It's almost like a signpost rub, uh, you know, per se. Um, I really do think that there is something to, to the way, and I've never done this yet. Maybe you have. Have you ever gone through and actually put a mark on uh, your digital mapping, whatever, whatever you use of every rub that has been in the area to see if there is some kind of a line or uh, connection between the, where those rubs are located and uh, deer movement? I have not. No. Um, you know, typically the only, the only, the only rubs that we've really mark, um, like a specific rub, and we'll mark the, the, the area location to go back and hang cameras, like I said, but really the only rubs that we're dropping a pin on and, and marking on the map are typically those big signpost rubs and not for any strategic reason, I guess, um, you know, where we are in Ohio, there aren't a whole lot of cedar trees. Most of it's open hardwoods, clear cut, and, it seems like whenever you can, I mean, I'm talking from a hundred yards away. If you see a cedar tree a hundred yards away, you can bet your paycheck that that thing is just going to be completely tore up. And a yeah. lot of times it's year over year over year. Um, so that's, you know, those are the things that we're marking on our map typically. Gotcha. Um, so out of curiosity, what did you find that you got excited about on this last scouting mission? Well, um, we found a bunch of, feeding areas um you know deer just digging through the snow and ice to feed on acorns which to my surprise um a lot of those feeding sites were white oak underneath white oak trees not red oak trees and 
I was kind of shocked by that, but, um, why were you shocked? You know, that's just, well, everybody, including myself, you know, everybody talks about late season food sources and typically those being, you know, we talked about hard mass. Typically those are some type of red Oak because deer prefer white Oak in the early season because they have lower tannic, uh, acid levels yep. and they're more palatable. So as the season wears on, as those more palatable food sources are eaten and used up, deer will then move to, you know, what, what then is available. And a lot of times that's, um, you know, red oak acorns, but most of the majority of the feeding sites, um, that we saw and you know, they're just plain as day visible just because the deer dig, have to dig through a few inches of snow to, to, to get, to get to the forest floor. Um, they were all underneath white oak trees. So, um, yeah, it was just something that, you know, if you were to Google, late season food sources. I mean, everything that you read, everything that you hear from folks, including myself and whoever else, um, everybody's talking about red oak acorns, but yeah. on that specific piece of public, um, you know, they're eating white oak acorns still. Well, it must've been like a huge drop then and they didn't get to all of them. Exactly. So, yep. you know, why eat a hamburger when the steak's sitting out, right? <laughs> That's right. So, um, Anything else interesting? Like every time I go on a, like a little scouting mission, whether it's big or small, I, I try to take something out of, of there. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, just if anything, not, not really a, like it's some mind blowing experience where it's like, I got to get a stand in here the first, you know, like as soon as I possibly can. But I, mm-hmm. I have that information in my back pocket. Right. Right. Yeah. I think, um, you know, we've closed out here, um, in Ohio around February 7th is when the season went out and we've, and we've, uh, we've probably spent four or five days scouting different pieces, both here and, and in Kentucky. And one of the common theme things that, um, we've seen, we've, I'm really trying to understand betting better. I mean, that's, yeah. everybody wants to talk about betting, how to hunt buck betting, how, you know, how close to close trying to figure all this stuff out. Like that's the craze with the B style mobile hunting. Everybody wants to hunt beds. Yeah. And I was, you know, if you would ask me a couple of years ago about betting, I would say just find the, you know, the thickest, nastiest um, security cover in the area where, where a buck's going to not feel stressed. And what we found over the last couple of weeks is, again, I don't know if it's, it's shocking, but we found inside of heavy security cover, um, we found the majority of the beds that we're finding are in open areas or, or less dense areas inside of that thick, nasty security cover. Um, so, you know, I don't know if there, if that's a trending thing or if it's just because how cold it's been over the last few weeks, um, you know, deer trying to gain some type of thermal value being in that open sun. But that's just, um, just something that we've been seeing, which I, I felt like it was pretty interesting. So you're um, saying, so you're saying that in the, in this big, thick, nasty area, Mm-hmm. They are in the open spots within this, this right. thickness. Okay. Right. Yeah. Right. So there's just to go a step further, two examples. Um, we walked through a, a very mature pine stand where there were no limbs, no, no um, lower vegetation on these pine trees. So just small and very small tops. So in that stand, there was a lot of light kind of coming down in the forest floor and there were Forbes and, you know, Greenbrier and there was somewhat of a high stem count, but because that sun was shining down through there, you could almost walk and say, okay, there's going to be, there could be a bed up here just because of the way the sun was shining through and hitting the forest floor. And we'd walk up there and there, there'd be a couple doe beds there. Yeah. Um, and the same thing happened, uh, scouting some, some ag ground here in Ohio, um, just walking through, almost we're walking an edge basically walking an edge or a transition line from from a, a kind of a thicket fallow field to open hardwoods and cut a trail and going into that heavier cover in that fallow field we came into an opening and in that inside that opening there were you know again several more beds yeah now let me ask you this um and then i'll voice my two cents when you find a big heavy use trail in this snow um mm-hmm. did you find any of the beds right on that trail or were they off the trail aways? No, they were. Um, and again, these are lower deer density areas. So, yeah. you know, what we consider a heavy trail is not, you know, not a cow path that some people may think it, think it is. Um, but no, none of those beds were directly off of um, a, a heavy trail. Now maybe within 
40, 50 yards or something. Yeah. Um, something of that nature, but not directly on, on a heavy trail. Yeah. And I'll say this, this is one thing that I noticed and I'm not going to say this is hill country, like what you guys, uh, are hunting, but this is for, for Iowa, you know, everybody thinks Iowa is, is just these egg fields and fingers, big timber, but right. I, I, I hunt in some bigger timber with some bigger terrain. And one thing that I've noticed is there's a, there will be a big trail running along, you know, side of Ridge, both sides, you know, depending on what wind direction it is, that's the one they're going to travel, but they're not betting on those trails. They're actually going up, uphill a little bit more to bed. Uh, and, and usually that coincides with where the, where there's some kind of edge, whether it's a pine, you know, some pine trees or, um, some, I forget the name of it. Well, everybody calls it something different. It's those, uh, those bushes that stay green all year round. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, like Hun- multiflora rose or something it's not like multiflower that? rose like honeysuckle or something like that oh, yeah, yeah so okay. i don't know yeah. I, I, everybody calls it something different so they're bedded right up against those things almost to look down at the the main trail that's there but also get thermals and also get the wind over the top and also get the sun right oh, so yeah. i didn't see very many uh beds that were below the main trail running up and down these ridges. So mm-hmm. that's one thing that I think I'm going to be able to take away from is whenever I get the opportunity now to hunt, like go in there and hunt this year, I know now I shouldn't waste my time hunting below that, uh, that line. And a lot of it depends on wind direction and access route, but hunting above that, uh, mm-hmm. above that line. So if they're coming back to said bedding area that they might, you know, they might, uh, you know, come up instead of go down. So, so when, when you're finding those beds, are you, are you picking out kill trees or strategically thinking about where to hunt them? Or are you just marking those on your map and then trying to use that as another piece of the puzzle? Yeah. Um, yeah. So basically what I'm doing right now is I don't really care about a particular tree right now for one reason. And that is I come back to that tree in September it does, or or October, whenever I decide to, you know, go do the, the run and gun in there, who knows what it's going to look like, right? All the vegetation is right. going to be back on the trees. I don't, I don't really pre-hang anything anymore. So, uh, it's, I'm going to have to maybe, you know, potentially trim a couple, uh, 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 branches or tuck something back around. And so I know that there is an area in this trail or on this ridge that I want to hunt. When I go in, that's when I'll pick my tree and I'll pick my tree. You know, obviously I want to put myself in the right position, but I also want to not have to uh, cut as many branches, you know, cut the least amount of branches possible. Yep. Makes sense. So, but it's just, it's another little thing that I'm just like, okay, there's no need to hunt below the trail. Now I think the steeper the terrain is the more they bed above up above it now the slightly if it's just a little terrain shift you know if it if it's just you know a couple feet as opposed to 10 or 15 20 feet then i don't think that that rule applies as much but Mm -hmm. i don't know i don't know any anything else from a uh, uh, before we get into the next topic anything else that you've kind of noticed or you've kind of set a rule to yourself like hey man i found this out this time of year it tends to hold true so then i'm not going to waste my time doing it in the fall or hunting season um nothing that's really kind of jumps out at me um one thing i will say is if i'm in an area scouting that i have history with um and i think that we've probably you and i have talked about this on a on a past podcast is i always have milkweed on me yeah and i'm always wind mapping and trying to figure out what the wind is doing yeah um in that location because you know you talk to guys who hunt hill country and there's kind of there's kind of two sides of this some guys just say well the wind's going to do it's going to do what it does and you can't predict it and you'll never it's always going to swirl and i'm just going to hunt the spot and i don't care and then you have guys that are really trying to figure out individual spots kind of micro understanding what the wind and thermals are going to do in an area yeah so that's yeah that's really it that's That's so tough man that's that's probably the hardest thing to to try to figure out too because i got a couple spots where october 
the wind will do one thing and then all the leaves drop in November when I'm hunting rut, it's doing something completely different. So I'll have to make the adjustment uh, on that too. It's just like the vegetation kind of causes its own wind and thermal deals too. So I don't know, man. It's just, it's just like, it, it's almost now, now that we're starting to talk into the real details about this, it blows my mind how I even get into a tree stand because I, <laughs> you know, like I'm just sitting there going, okay, well, I got, um, here's the access route. Well, can't shoot the, you know, or by the right. time I get up in the tree, you, you, you're dropping your uh, wind indicators and, and it's like, oh shit, got to tear down and move 20 yards up the ridge or whatever. And, yeah. oh Jesus, it's so stupid. <laughs> you can, you can definitely have paralysis by analysis. Oh, yeah. yeah. You get to a, you get to a point, you're like, you gotta just, you gotta hunt. I yeah. mean, I, th- I think that we've all, all probably been there, but you're right. When it comes to the wind, like there's so many variables, yeah. um, vegetation, how tall the timber is, the steepness of the terrain, uh, waterways, openings. It's yeah. like, yeah. it's really hard. Yeah. Waterways are a big one. Now, let me, let me ask you this in your hill country that you hunt. Um, like does, do thermals trump predominant wind or not? Um, I'm going to say yes. Um, and depending on where you are, thermals are a lot more predictable than, than the wind. And I think that's why the thermals trump the wind because, you know, you can do all this wind mapping stuff and have all these data points. Um, and as you said, you get into a spot that you've postseason scouted or maybe even scouted in the past. And it's just not going to always be what you think it's going to be. But the majority of the time, if you understand thermals, understand how the sun is hitting different spots on, on those ridges, um, the, the thermals are a lot easier uh, to predict. And I think that deer know that too. I think that um, – some of the bucks that we hunt in, in hill country, they rely more on thermals than they actually do wind direction. And we've seen that time and time again with, um, you know, like a northwest facing slope in late October, early November, or even through November. Uh, the thermals are going to drop there a lot longer through um, a lot longer through the morning period. And they actually won't they won't uh, rise until later in the morning which if you get on a different, uh, like a, a Southern facing slope or an Eastern facing slope, you know, they're almost always going to rise when, yeah. uh, you know, shortly after the sun comes up. So I, yeah, I, I, uh, I think thermals are, are more important than, than prevailing wind. Yeah. So, the, and this, this is a question that I have no idea about. So I'm going to ask you, cause you hunt this terrain more than I do. Um, the, the, the sun facing the South facing slopes, right mm-hmm. do you tend to see more activity deer activity on those south facing slopes if the thermals are more dominant than the per- predominant wind as opposed to the non-sun side no i haven't i've actually i've actually seen the opposite but it's on it was i was only hunting a specific deer and it happened to be in on a, a northern facing or northwest facing slope inside of a, a big drainage or a big bowl um so i can't really draw a general conclusion to that yeah but that's where that deer was spending a lot of daylight time um and that's kind of how i figured out the thermals were dropping there you know later uh later in the, into the morning into the morning hours so i yeah. i don't know maybe i mean there might be something there um but i i don't have a general conclusion to yeah. that all right so now let's uh let's throw sheds into this Oof. uh because just another layer right um let's throw a shed antler into the mix you found a buck's shed in this area does that tell you anything you know you know because no matter no matter where uh a de- what time of year it is right you know except for maybe the rut where a, a buck is really on his feet doing a lot of cruising there's still this bed to feed pattern this time of year right and that that area or core area could shift you know back into the in the fall right so when you find a shed do you ever like use that other than a hey i found a shed here no i typically don't use it for much um as other than as you said that's that's where they're spending their their winter time um but that could shift in spring and shift into or shift into summer shift into um you know september shift into october and shift in november so i don't put a ton of weight into finding sheds now we have picked up sheds to deer or 
to bucks that we were able to hunt in that close proximity. Um, but just walking through the woods, shed hunting, it's more of a, a pastime and a fun hobby for, for me personally than trying to, you know, pick up shed up and draw a conclusion on where to hunt that deer the following year. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, however, in 2018, uh, I guess if you want to call it my biggest buck to date, I was kind of stumped. I, I went through a period where I didn't, I didn't have any, like my shooters just weren't showing up, uh, in this early November time frame, And I, so what I did was I, um, the last picture of, I had of the buck that I ended up shooting was on a mineral station, uh, on the North side of the farm. And on the South side of the farm, the previous, uh, that spring is where I found his shed antler. So I drew a line. This is no joke. I, I marked those two places on a map. I drew a line right in between them. And that night, uh, as soon as it stopped raining, it was like, I think it was November 4th. I, I went into this terrain feature that was literally right in between the two dots. And I killed that buck that, that night. So, wow. <laughs> so I, I used that as a reference point, not, you know, did I need that? You know, probably not, but it, it, that random time when I was frustrated, I used that as uh, as something to, to get the job done. Yeah. That's incredible. So I don't know, man. I, uh, just now, now just talking about this, I want to get out and just start pounding ground again. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. This is the time to do it. Yep. Yep. Um, and you know, since we are talking, uh, sheds is, is there a place that you tend to find a majority of your sheds throughout the years? Um, no, I mean, we focus in two areas. We focus on, you know, winter food sources and then, you know, the best thermal cover, the best, the best bedding, um, that that's available in the area. And, you know, we're unfortunately in the big woods, you're not, always having the opportunity to go walk ag fields or cut bean fields or cut corn fields. You're having to walk through, you know, stands of oaks or, um, you know, stuff, clear cuts or browse, um, which could be, you know, the honeysuckle, greenbrier, all, you know, stuff up on the ridgetops. You know, a lot of guys talk about those Southern facing slopes that have, um, you know, the most, they get the most sun and give the most thermal, um, I guess, thermal energy or, thermal the opportunity to absorb that thermal energy but um no most of the times when we're finding sheds in the big woods um they are either coming from clear cuts which could be uh bedding can be food kind of double as both and then um you know those terrain features we're always walking through uh pinch points or saddles and benches because typically that's you know a deer is going from point a to point b in the big woods they're using the terrain to their advantage because they're not wanting to expend um you know all the extra energy that they do you know like during the rut where they're just running up hillsides everywhere yeah i'll tell you as far as iowa is concerned this year if you had any type of grain waste in your field or you had standing crops that didn't get out of a farm um or just really good thermal cover there that thermal cover that's close to crp or close to um you know an egg field i'll just say egg field as a point of reference but buffer strips throughout the years mm-hmm. it, that you know the the strips of grass that prevent erosion that by far has been the number one scoop spot for me like if i want to go find sheds i'll go you know last year for some reason it didn't work out because i think it was crop rotation but this year it was corn in this field and i know that when i get out there i'm going to find I'm going to find antlers in this, in these buffer strips. It's like they go eat and then they lay in this grass. That's probably warm from the sun all day long. You know what I mean? So, yeah. 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 So other than that, man, um, do you have, uh, what are you, what are you doing this year? I, are you, obviously you're hunting Ohio, but any other States? Well, uh, yeah, Ohio, uh, Ohio may, I mean, I know it's my home state, but it may go on the back burner a little bit. I have a, um, an Idaho archery elk tag. Nice. Um, for September. So that's, uh, that'll be a big, that'll be a big hunt. That's just my, I guess the first, I don't know, backcountry hunt or possibility of a backcountry hunt. Nice. Um, so really excited about that. It's in a, not that great of a unit. Um, you know, pretty low herd numbers, very, very, very rugged terrain. 
um, possibility of, you know, encountering Grizzlies, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's been interesting because I'm trying to educate myself. It's something new, new for me. I know next to nothing about elk. I know nothing about, you know, backcountry hunting. I know nothing about grizzly bears. I know nothing about any of that. Right. So it's been interesting. You know, I'm just trying to absorb as much information about all of it as I can to kind of prep myself, um, more on a mental side. Cause physically I, it's going to be a demanding hunt, but yeah. I, I think I'll be okay on the physical side. And then, um, I'm sitting with one point in my pocket for Kansas. I bought a point last year knowing that I wasn't going to hunt in Kansas last year. And, um, you know, there's been a, so many guys inside of our circle who have, you know, applied and not get gotten drawn in Kansas, which is kind of, it's not, it's still rare not to, not to draw. Um, but I knew I wasn't going to hunt there in 2020. So I thought, you know, l- let me just buy the point for 30 bucks or 35 bucks, 50 bucks, whatever it was. And then I know that, I'll draw for sure yeah. on 2021. So I have those two hunts. Um, so Kansas, whitetail, Idaho elk, and then um, and then Ohio will kind of fill in the gap. Yeah. Are you dropping down to Kentucky at all? I am not. No. Um, okay. So the, I do have plans to hunt Kentucky in the upcoming years. Um, now, it's one of the reasons why we were down there is, uh, you know, trying to jump from state to state and kind of postseason scout these areas. Um, so then in the summertime, we can go in and run cameras and leave those cameras up and let them run for a year. And then we're way ahead of the game um, for when we want to hunt that spot or that area in 2023 or 2024, yeah. rather than trying to get all of that done in one year. Yeah, It just makes it a little easier on us. Yeah, I feel you, man. I feel you. Well, good luck this upcoming year, man. Hopefully uh, uh, you are successful in all your uh, hunting endeavors, and I hope Exodus continues to be successful for you guys. And uh, thanks for taking time out of your day to uh, hop on and uh, talk scouting with me, man. I appreciate the opportunity, Dan. Huge shout out to Chad. Thanks for taking time out of your day, buddy, to hop on and, and chat with us. Huge shout out to Wasp and Vortex and Ozonics and Lone Wolf. Um, thank you for supporting this podcast financially and with product man i i appreciate it because it it feeds my family let's not let's not lie that's how this works so uh really appreciate the brands please go out and support those brands that support this podcast um because that basically uh i don't know you you continue to get this free content every single week and I'm trying to think of what else we're doing here. Um, bah, 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 bah. Instagram, Facebook, follow on, on Nine Finger Chronicles. Keep an eye out for the Nine Finger Kitchen episode coming probably next week sometime. And be good. Get outside, man. The snow is melting. I don't know where, wherever you're listening to this at. Uh, the snow is melting pretty fast in Iowa. I just got to find time to get out and do some shed hunting before the squirrels beat me or other people beat me to the uh you know to the punch and i might go to the iowa deer classic this weekend i might not i might uh, last year i got bored at the iowa deer classic and so i got back in my car i drove back to my hometown and then my wife and kids weren't home so i got back in the car again i drove out to the farm and i found like seven sheds it was amazing um blah, blah, blah. other than that keep it real be good to your neighbor spread love all that all that hippie stuff, and we'll talk to you next time.